well, I don't know what you know about our history, but we're almost 50 years old. We started with 12 adults. Um, and within the first uh, uh, year, we purchased a, uh, 18 houses in a very run-down uh, section of the city. Um, and um, I don't, it, was, it was an anointed time of growth. Uh, people, people just started joining from everywhere around the U.S. Uh, I'm one of them. Bob's one of them. I'm from New York. Bob's from here, Texas. Um, and it was charismatic. Uh, it was, uh, I would say, the, the 12 adults that began the community were all Catholic. Uh, within a month or so, they went on retreat to pray about whether they should be ecumenical in the Lord's sake. I'm not sure how they heard the Lord say this, but within 30 minutes, the Lord clearly told them yes. So immediately, uh, Protestants started joining the community as well. And um, and that's the way we've maintained it up to now. We're about 700 adults, men, women, and children. Most of us, probably three-quarters of us, live in, in this neighborhood that's expanded to about a square mile. Um, and so we have common backyards. Everything's common. <laughs> um, we have our own school, K-12. to We... Bob here is the overall coordinator. He's a vineyard guy. I'm a Catholic. Um, and we've been really, truly hidden for almost four, four, four decades. Um, it was probably about maybe eight years ago at a Kairos meeting. Y'all might know Matteo Khaleesi. Um, he's, we're involved with him a, a fair amount. And we were at a meeting where it's kind of like the veil was, was lifted off of us and, and all of a sudden we kind of started getting involved in uh, all kinds of, I would say, more international, national activities of, on reconciliation and unity um, and building bridges. We're, we're really big into building bridges around, we, we're, we're tied with other networks like ENC, Johannes Wittenbauer and in, in, uh, Sword of the Spirit. Um, um, we, we have connections. We do a lot of unity work down in Brazil between Pentecostals and Catholics, uh, Australia, some places in Europe. Uh, but mostly we just live life, uh, down home life, building holy, holy families uh, in singles um, and living uh, a, a life of holiness and intentional community life. Uh, trying to find ways to spread the gospel wherever the Lord opens doors. Um, so we have a, a weekly prayer meeting, uh, varying types. Some of them are praise and worship. Some are quiet, more contemplative. Some of them are more uh, family-focused, unity-focused. Um, we have small cell groups that meet usually weekly. Uh, in some configuration uh, with, with children. Um, we're very charismatic. Um, we're, we have a two-year school on the supernatural going right now. 
Uh, we're very involved in spiritual direction. We have a three-year school for us, <laughs> the direction school going on. Uh, that uh, actually, we just had seven people from City of the Lord of Phoenix graduate from. But we have people from all over the country coming to that. Um, but we're involved in local activities with the clergy. We, Bob is over. Uh, he'll tell you about that. But local local pastors association and. Uh, have done quite a bit of work in the city, uh, with the city, uh, in redevelopment. <laughs> because our, because we transformed the neighborhood we're in, they're they're interested in us, <laughs> how we did it. Uh, um, I don't know. It's good, but we we, we have a covenant. Uh, we we have a covenant where, we're, and for us, it's a life commitment and a, a time of people. It's a call. A uh, very clear call. We, we've discovered that when, just like he called Abraham, <laughs> and he called the people, well, that 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 kind of model gets replicated in uh, in the church. Uh, he he calls particular individuals, uh, particular groups of people with a prophetic call for a particular work. And so, we the people in Alleluia, we feel like we've heard a call from the Lord to live this way of life at this time in this place in history and this time of the church and, and we're trying to do our little piece so to speak so yeah, well, <coughs> Dan covered that pretty well uh, I'd like to say that we as a community well, many communities maybe most I, I don't really know tend to have a focus you know on minister to the poor or you know some some outreach you know and We've always kind of felt funny about this in a way, but all the Lord has ever told us to do is be a people. You know, He wants us to be a family together. We think of ourselves as, in many cases, more closely related than our blood family. It, you know, it just works out that way because we have so much love for one another and interchange, exchange with one another. But the the, our, our, I guess our main charism, you know, if you want to call it a gift, is our love for one another. Mm -hmm. And people that visit us, uh, like uh, just come for a weekend or, or for an a extended stay, they are, they notice that and they are really affected by that. Well, that's, you know, so we, we hope that what we're doing is is really spreading the desire for deeper love across the body of Christ. Um, years ago, I was at a... Now, I, I was, I'm not Catholic, so I didn't have any other invitation, but I was at a... Um, it was the group... They call it the Group of Five. It was the uh, leaders for the in the Catholic renewal of the different uh, organizations, the Catholic liaisons, the, you know, the ethnic groups, the and covenant communities were in there too so I, I was there as a leader of a covenant community so and I was usually the only Protestant in the room and I was that day too uh, so they were talking about their next meeting and I said well, well we'll be happy to host you we can do that we have homes for people to stay in and meeting facilities and the leader immediately said no and you know it's like he already had his mind made up no I said, well, well, why? And he said, because last time we had a leaders meeting there, all they could talk about was our community life, not their business. 
So I took that as kind of a, okay, I understand, you know, we don't want to be a distraction to you, but it was a, a, a sideways compliment for us because that's what we are, you know, we just are a people. And, but uh, out of that has, has flowed a number of ministries that are sustainable. Now that's, that's kind of a, you know, we, we're deeply involved in pro-life stuff. We're deeply involved in ecumenical uh, reconciliation nationally and locally. And we're, I mean, we, are a, we really are. We have turned into a real force for unity in the city of Augusta, mm -hmm. which is about, it's not as big as Austin, but it's about 350,000 or so in our area. And so we know because of God's anointing, he's, he's given us an impact in these areas that are really important to us. And, and some of this is understanding our differences, having our reconciled diversity and being able to love one another despite our differences. And, when we, and what we do is locate our ecumenical common ground, which is enormous as a matter of fact, once you begin to look for things that you know, Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, Pentecostals all hold in common. It is an enormous area. So we have worked very hard to just stay in that area and, and, and keep the other things that cause problems or divisions or doubts or whatever. We don't try to discourage our people from doing them at all uh, at a, you know, in their own environment. But in the community environment, we really try to keep it to our core stuff, which is Jesus is Lord. That's the first line in our covenant. And, uh, so, and we're fully charismatic, and prophetic things really mean a lot to us. Uh, the elders, we have, we have ten elders, uh, seven active, and uh, three that are emeritus. But uh, we don't really have an agenda other than hearing what the Lord is saying to, for us to do and then doing that. Now, that could be protracted. You know, he might have us things to do that take a long time to do. But, and if we make agreements about that, then everything that we agree to as a community, we can consent, all consent to. So it's, uh, we have solidarity, in other words. Uh, and if you understand solidarity and subsidiarity, they're very useful concepts for community. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> they're useful because it, you know, People wondered, well, why are you different from a church? Or how are you different from a church? <clears throat> We're different because we have a solidarity. We have an ability to work together as one. You know, it's a John 17, 20 through 23. That's the hub of our life. You know, Jesus prayed that we could be one so that the people, the world would know that he is the Lord. Well, I think our environment, the environment we maintain in our neighborhood and uh, in, a, in our several neighborhoods, actually, really does do that. So we're we're seeking to the elders are not trying to make us into, into anything. You know, we're trying to be obedient, docile people to the Holy Spirit. And what that has done for us is allowed for a number of ministries to rise up. And I say, once they get going, they they're almost self-sustaining. And so, uh, we, Dan and I were asked to give a presentation several years ago to an organization about 
the fruit of our ecumenical life. And we never, nobody had ever asked that question before. You know, so, and we hadn't really asked it of ourselves. So we came up with, you know, just, I don't know, a page, several pages of, of outreaches and things that are happening out of our community life that are all very significant, but they're not the focus of our life. Our focus is our individual people, helping them understand their gifts, their uh, also their weaknesses, the places where the devil has, you know, sown seeds of problems in their lives, and you know, doing personal ministry, deliverance, whatever we need to do to remove the roadblocks, the barriers to every person becoming everything they ought to be for God. Now, maybe it's expressed through our community, or maybe back at their church. There are a lot of in fact, most of the church leaders that are members of our community are leaders in their churches too. So the pastors in Augusta have begun to not think of us as another church or a comp competition with them. They think of us more as, well, they're more appreciative of the fact that we're improving their membership. You know, that we're doing it kind of in a different sort of way. And, you know, part of our covenant, which Dan alluded to, is is has a very we've always known that our covenant had a tremendous power in it it's almost like a marriage covenant you know you can a man and woman can live together and just effectively have a relationship an ongoing relationship to raise kids without a covenant but it's so much different with one you have so much grace and you know ability to adapt and love one another in a, in a deeper kind of way well our covenant is like that in a way it's not as deep as perhaps a marriage covenant but it is a real, I mean, it's a solemn agreement we have with God in, in us. And so it's a triangle. You know, God's at the top, and we are all, you know, us, and then the, the community is at the bottom of it. And that has given us an enormous grace. We just, and we have never been able to fully account for what it has done. But hmm. uh, just recently, I, I began to think of our covenant as, as actually a, a prophetic word. You know, it is like the word that St. Francis got, you know, to build my church. Well, so many people, 800 years later, there's still Franciscans building the church. You know what I mean? It's sort of like that word had a tremendous mm -hmm. power to it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Lauren Cunningham, YWAM guy, he had a vision. And there's missionaries all over the world because they have a call. They, they heard that prophetic word and they responded to it. So... And I, as I began to think of our covenant more as a prophetic word than just a good document that was well-crafted, that said everything we wanted to say and prayed it, you know, set it up right, which it does, it does all that, but it was a prophetic word to us. It just changed my understanding of the mm. level of grace that God has given us. Mm. So, uh, and I, that's what I notice when I come to Christ the Reconciler here, is that there's a... And a sense of an identity, uh, you know, a, a unity that is, you know, beyond normal. You guys aren't normal, okay? It's a good thing that you're not normal to. You're, you're super normal. This is what I think God wants for every Christian. The ability to be ecumenical, to love others despite our differences, to work with them, accept their Christianity, their valid, validity of their baptism, even their sacraments, you know? So... We've got a long, all got a long way to go in this route, in this road. But I believe those, like Christ the Reconciler and Hallelujah, are kind of like 
ahead of the pack. We're, we're, we're uh, pioneering in ways mm-hmm. for people to actually be in unity despite their differences, you know, and, and rather than experience division because of their differences. And God is about healing, a, a great healing work, a historic healing work right now where he is trying, I think, to draw his body together so that we're, I mean, you've heard it all said, that he's not, Jesus is not returning for a, hand, a harem. Mm-hmm. He is returning for one bride. And, I mean, when we got a divided bride, he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. So we are looking looking for anything we can do to help heal our divisions so that we can be diverse. You know, I know he loves diversity. So, you know, the the diversity of the liturgical churches and the diversity of the evangelical love for scripture or the Pentecostal love for the gifts, the anointing of the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit or the contemplative monastic uh, understanding of the power of the quiet and and all of those things ought to be belonging to all of us. You know, yeah. not just, yeah. you know, just living in our in our separate divided camps. So... And, we, and, and the beauty of ecumenical community is we have that blend. Yeah. We have it all. No. <laughs> so we're all, we're being totally enriched by mm-hmm. each other's traditions. So, awesome. and that is so true that we are, I am a much better evangelical Protestant charismatic because of my association, my, my serious association with my Catholic brothers and sisters, because I have learned so much from them, I've drawn so deeply. No, no call to be a Catholic. The Lord's never said he wanted me to be a Catholic. That's fine. I, I don't care either way, frankly, what you are. But if you're co- to- totally committed to the Holy Spirit, to the, to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, then you know, I can relate to you. I can be your brother and sister. So our community is, a, in a sense, a large adopted family. And once you are part of something like that, you learn how to adopt people. And like I noticed with Thomas, he, he kind of, I don't know if you would have identified at that, but he kind of adopted us and we kind of adopted him. Absolutely. Maybe. You know, and because we had, we were, we were of the same stock, you know, the same genetic spiritual genetics uh, that we, we share that stuff so uh, there's not many people that think of it that way but I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to get everyone to think of it that way so we have a great mission in front of us all of us to in order to bring uh, not just the message of unity but the reality of unity and that's what Christ the, Re- Re- Christ the Reconciler does what Alleluia does we are bringing the reality of Christian unity back to the body of Christ. It started out that way. And like Father Peter said, Jesus was along, you know, he was journeying, journeying out. And now he's starting to return back and he's repairing things along the way. This is a big part of it for us. So we're so happy to find you guys. I mean, we're really, you know, we felt like, you know, occasionally you'll find a, a relative that you didn't know you had. It's like... <laughs> Well, this is, uh, for us, it's almost like a homecoming. So we're so grateful to get to know you. Amen. You see why we love these guys so much already, right? (laughs) So that was a lot that was covered. And so I just want to open it up for any questions or comments. I have some that I can ask, but before that, you know, Brian, Danny, John, Susan, anything you have on your heart, your mind, any follow-up question, anything you didn't understand or anything that sparked a curiosity, just go ahead and... Speak out. 
So, quick question. Just uh, you guys said the the spaces where you live within your neighborhood. Do the individuals own the houses, or is that owned through Alleluia? Like, how do you guys share those spaces and, and navigate that? Well, it, it's it's evolved. So, yes, the answer is we do own our houses, but it didn't start out we that mean... way. We the community, the four families and four singles that bought the. 18 houses they sold all their belongings <laughs> and bought it with, with their savings basically and became landlords um, and so and then we we lived in common for several years meaning uh, the community owned it and we just we were we were renters of these of the community um, however that didn't we found out after a few years that people take much better care of their property if they own it. <laughs> so we, we, we were able to find a way to sell the properties to, to the individual families. Dan said it was an evolving process. And, you know, we had, we had no idea what we were doing when we started. I mean, no plan. It's just that God said to the founders he wanted us to live together. And, and he gave a vision to one of them of, that really fit our neighborhood. So, and it, the neighborhood was available, so it, you know, we got into it. But it was in such bad repair that nobody in their right mind would live where we lived. You know, it was, we have people in the city that won't even come into part of our, the part of the city we live in. <laughs> that's true. So wow. you know, it was not a desirable place to live at all. Uh, however, Having said that, the, the love was so great that, you know, that got, got us all over that problem. You know, we just didn't see the surroundings. But we, because uh, we bought them as a group, we couldn't sell them as a, as a part, you know, because the lenders just don't do that. They don't just, won't let you do that. At least they didn't back then. So somebody came up with this clever idea of a contract for D, which allowed us to be able to, you know, to, uh, and a bank would recognize that as an ownership that when the deed was, rec you know, reconfigured that this would be our individual property. They, banks recognized that, so they would loan a family enough, you know, enough money to buy it and then to rent renovate it and improve it. And our neighborhood is totally transformed now. I mean, it, it is, I mean, you can't even describe before and after because before was so bad and after is so wonderful. You know, it looks like a, a well taken care of neighborhood where people care about it, about their homes. And in a, in a sense, it's a paradigm for what's happened to all of us. You know, we came in as wrecks, you know, just really, you know, just a bad looking neighborhood and got it over a period of time, just straightened us up and renovated us. And, <laughs> you know, it's been, a, I mean, it really has been an amazing thing. And we know that, like Dan mentioned, that the city has paid attention to that. Uh, because they came, they actually came and sat down with us one day and said, how did you do that? You know, and we began to speak with them and I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but uh, this, we were kind of coordinators of this, of a, a South Augusta Pastors Alliance. It's got a, not, it's not a large group, but it has Methodist and Catholic and Baptist and Pentecostal and Evangelical Charismatic Vineyard type folks like me and and, we, and it was a, 
and we met, we've been meeting monthly for lunch for 20, 21 years, you know, with almost no interrupt, just a couple of times when we didn't meet. So, well, the group has really come to love one another. So, and do things together, you know, that we can do. We've had a, a preaching mission a couple of years ago. We put up a tent revival. We pitched tents out in front of the Methodist church, and every night we had a different preacher, a Baptist or a Catholic or a, you know, Pentecostal or, I mean, we had, it was like really an amazing thing because, because there seems like the competition between the groups is just diminished as the love for one another has grown. And so like, that's we, been a, we, we also do a, a crosswalk every Good Friday for the whole city and all the churches in this pastor association are participating. We, we do scripture reading and we carry crosses and we go through the streets and go from one church to the next. <laughs> and, and it's, it's a very, the whole, a lot of people all over the city come to it. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, and occasionally it makes uh, the front page of the paper. You know, we've had five, six, seven hundred cross carriers, you know, we're, and we're going from the Methodist to the Lutheran to the Baptist and then to the Catholic churches and the preachers of each one of those preach, you know, on the scripture passage at the time. And listening to their different styles is just phenomenal. I mean, I love it because it, it shows the diversity so well, but it is such a unifying thing too. So we're coming to appreciate one another better. In the city of Augusta, the pastors are. Uh, another little uh, di display of our solidarity. Now we work together a lot. You know, we'll have our men get together on Saturdays occasionally and work. You know, we work around the school or in our faith village. For years, we just worked on faith village because it was literally falling down around us. But we got it in pretty good shape when we got our school and we were working on that. But uh, the head of the Baptist Association and I had gotten friends because his Baptist friends, brothers, had invited him to the South Augusta Pastors Alliance lunch. And he was kind of skeptical and a little icy at the beginning. But at the end, he was right. The Holy Spirit really did a work in his heart. And uh, so we got to be friends. And uh, he mentioned one day that they're start opening a new uh, mission center for their, the Baptist Association. And then, of course, the Baptists are the predominantly group, predominant group in Augusta. It's a huge, you know, hundreds of churches. Um, they were opening a mission center that was right, really right down the street from us. And it was a big Baptist church that had gone out of, you know, that had somehow discontinued ministry. But the Baptist Association got it. Well, they needed a lot of work. So I, I volunteered. I said, okay, well, we'll come help you. So uh, we showed up with, uh, Dan says 70 men. I thought it was 50, but it was somewhere between 50 70. and 70 guys, <laughs> 70 guys that were, you know, we, we could work together. We, we were disciplined. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we, whatever they asked for, we would do that, you know, big stuff, little stuff. And that, and then we actually did that twice. The second one wasn't quite as large, but still, we gave them an enormous gift of our, our love wrapped in labor. Mm -hmm. They're just serving one another. And it transformed our relationship with those guys. Uh, I mean, they even put our, you know, not, hadn't happened often, but the crosswalk, the, the Good Friday thing, they put that in their, their newsletter. It goes out to everybody. So, and that was, a, a few, 10 years ago, was unheard of. Mm -hmm. You know, it just could not have happened. 
So we know that our brand of love for one another is contagious. That's, that's a good thing about it. And it really is contagious. And we try to touch one another and pass the fire of the love as much as we can. You know, through conversation, through ministry. And, you know, we just do, we do little things like encourage our people to do these treasure hunts where you go out and you pray. You know, you just go out to a little group of people, ask for God to lead you to somebody and, and, uh, and ask them. You know, if they want prayer, if they want prayer for anything, and we pray over them. Oh my gosh! In the shopping centers and different wherever places. we go, those kind of things just over a period of time are incredibly fruitful. And most of the things that mean the most take more the most time to develop. So you have to be patient. That's another thing. You know, you have to just be patient. And what I just you know I kind of picked up around here that you all have been around for a while. So you've already paid a lot of the dues, you know, you have to pay of lo to get to know one another well, to really love one another, know one another well enough to know that, yeah, you're accepting the good and the bad when you love one another. And you're, the strengths and the weaknesses. Well, that's the brand of Christianity, that ecumenical Christianity that we stand for and we try to pass along. And, and I, honestly, I, we see that here. So it's... A great affirmation. Of that this. was a long answer to one question. <laughs> I'm going to ask a short follow-up to that question. You used the word, when you were talking about solidarity earlier, you also used the word subsidiarity, yeah. which I wasn't familiar with until I, we had lunch together at the, in there in Augusta. And I think the idea of subsidiarity is related to the idea of y'all now owning your houses. Can you say a little bit about subsidiarity and kind of the understanding you've come to of the importance of that concept? Yeah. Well... I think, actually, I think subsidiarity is a Catholic term, but I'm not sure. Um, Sounds Catholic. <laughs> but it's that the... Consubsidiarity. <laughs> the smallest unit does what it can for itself. So that, for example, uh, we don't, as a community, we don't try to take over the role of the family. Like the parents make the decisions for their kids. Uh, that's, that would be the lowest level of subsidiarity. Um, and so we, we only, our solidarity, on the other hand, is when you can't do for yourself, <laughs> like a family, for example, maybe not be able to homeschool, uh, but, 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 the, but they want to have their kid get a Christian education. So we, sol through solidarity, we created an environment where we can, these families can put their kids into school. So they, we did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. Um, so we kind of, um, I don't know how to, so that's how, it's kind of like the federal government is violating subsidiarity at some levels because they're overreaching their authority and going down into the nitty gritty telling families what to do. I mean, that, that may be true or not true, but I, I tend to think it's true. That's a violation of subsidiarity. The family should make its own decisions. And, and so we operate on that kind of level in our community. We don't do for people uh, what they can't do for themselves. So, thank you. Also, there's a balance between solidarity and subsidiarity. Sometimes subsidiarity, which you could just say is me or my family or what I'm responsible for, uh, it needs more attention. So it, 
gets more attention. Mm -hmm. And you might not be able to show up at a meeting or do something, you know, for the solid, the whole group, the solidarity, but that's okay. Because as long as everyone is always trying to keep that balance, there's other times when the solidarity, we need to do something together, you know, and when we need to function as one, we can. But in order for that to happen, everybody has to give up their afternoon or their day or, or, or their money or whatever. You know, if we wanted to all buy something, well, in the village, you know, that was everybody uh, consented to the idea that we needed to be one and buy the village. And it took everything they had, almost, almost totally everything everyone had. But, you know, so if, if everyone is always, you know, sensitive to that, you know, that there's times when you have to yield and times when the yield, the big group has to yield. You know, that everything will work very, it'll just keep working. You don't have people getting mad and leaving because nobody ever paid any attention to them or, you know what I mean, it's just, so it's, it's just a way of thinking about the, the how authority is uh, distributed and a very useful concept. And I think it probably, I don't know if it's a Catholic, con I know it's written a lot about in Catholic literature, but it's also in, uh, you know, in developmental uh, business and uh, governmental kind of stuff too. But it is a very useful concept, probably in the scripture somewhere. <laughs> I haven't found it yet, but I think it is there, got to be there. All right. Any other questions or comments? There's also a lot covered there, so there's a lot to chew on. Yeah. I have a quick question. Uh, it's good to be able to have a conversation with you guys. Thank you for doing that. I'd like to know how your guys' discernment process for individuals and families joining has changed over the years and what are key insights or experiences that, that caused you to change the discernment process and where are you guys at today with that? That's a great question. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, so in the early days, again, if you wanted to join, okay, you joined. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're in. There was no discernment. Uh, I would say our earlier years were our roughest years <laughs> uh, because we, we had no template. Uh, there was nobody else doing this. So uh, we, we learned by all our mistakes. Um, and uh, it's funny, Bob has a saying, you know, people in the early days especially would accuse us of being a cult. And uh, Bob was always quick to say, you know, that's not true because in a cult it's, it's easy, uh, easy to get in and hard to get out. Uh, with Alleluia now, the way we do it, it's hard to get in and easy to get out. <laughs> uh, so we actually have a, uh, a process. We, we take people through two interviews. Um, and um, two, we usually have a leadership team of three people, two of our elders and one of our women uh, leaders. And um, we basically ask them a lot of questions. The biggest, the biggest thing we're looking for is uh, to hear some kind of language from them that says, we're feeling called by God to do this. Um, because we don't want people joining just because we have a nice school. <laughs> um, because when their kids are grown, <laughs> well, then they're out. You know, that was the only reason they joined. Uh, and we can, you can usually ask enough questions, you can kind of get a sense that there's 
Um, I would say other deal breakers would be, you have to look for uh, people who have a heart for unity. Um, people who are, you know, who don't have uh, the ability to, to appreciate living in an ecumenical community don't need to be there. Also, uh, we're, we're pretty charismatic. Um, it's not that they have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit when they come in, but they have to be open to, to being prayed over for it eventually and operate in the gifts, or you're not going to be happy here <laughs> because everything we do almost is, involves using the gifts. Um, and, and, and we do have, they have to be biblical in their morality. Like if they're not pro-life or if they espouse any of this new gender ideology or gay marriage stuff, this is not the place for you because we're biblical <laughs> in terms of our morality. So um, those are some of the th things we, you know, we talk about when they come in. So we, and then we give them a, a number of things to read, a few booklets that we've developed for new people. And after the first interview, they take time, whatever time they want, weeks, months, uh, to read through the material. And then when, if they're still interested, we ask them to set up another interview. And we, we, then we review one more time everything. We usually have, if, at that point, if they're interested, we have them meet with the superintendent of the school if they have children to talk about what it means to be in the school. And, and then we, we bring them underway, which is a, usually anywhere from two to four year process where they're discerning the call. But they basically live the life like they're, they're there. And we place them in a small uh, cell group uh, a small cell group, meaning anywhere from 10 to tw 20 adults. Uh, and uh, we sign them a mentor couple, a couple that's going to be checking in on them consistently to make sure that their adjustment uh, goes well. That for us has been important because, you know, there's a language that develops, you know, when you when you're close, you develop your lingo about things and you say things that mean a lot but only refer maybe one word refer to it or something like that so we found out well i found out because i didn't speak catholic when i moved to augusta <laughs> i maybe two or three years i was just in confusion about what these catholics were talking about i knew i had no idea so you know i started learning about that and it, it you know understanding is a lot of it so we we were learning that our, a lot of our newer members of late have been our own children joining, and so they knew all the lifestyle, the lingo, and everything, but now we're starting to have some people that don't have any track record with it. So we're trying to make sure that they, you know, they can get easily get their questions answered and they don't feel stupid about asking, like, well, what does that mean, or whatever, because we know they're going to be running into things all day long. We could never come up with a book that had all the obvious, you know, the reference points and everything, because they change and all that. So we just try to help people acclimate into our family life, right? So that, that's a big part of it. And then at the end of that discernment period, if they still feel called, and we have to match that. I mean, the, the, if they still feel it, mm -hmm. and we agree with them that, yeah, we think you're called, then we'll invite them to sign the code. 
And this, I think, is an important distinction. Let me see if I'm correct. I'll say it and you can correct me or agree. You can request to be underway at Alleluia, but you can't request to be a covenant member. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. That's right. Okay. You have no, to be invited. We, you have to, you have to live there long enough to be tested, and <laughs> test, uh, and, and to know what you're getting into. So, it it really is a Catholic. Uh, it to me, it's kind of like a religious order with uh, only it's mostly lay people. However, again, we're 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 the we're a big producer of. of Catholic priests and religious and even Protestant ministers. A lot of our youth uh, have gone on to serve the churches in, in different ways, and, and we're like a little hothouse for that. Good. Um, John, Susan, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask? Yeah, I wanted to know more about the content of your covenant. What what are the distinctives? Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a one page document, um, and it's very simple. Can I share it with them? Yeah, yeah. Later, if you got yeah, yeah. right now. Okay, Thomas yeah, says he'll share it. Um, what what in it, it? What we had, what we did though along the way about our twenty fifth year. Um, the covenant is our basic, very basic agreements, um, but we we developed a way of life over 25 years, and, and along the way, it, we, we kept making little agreements here, little agreements there. After 25 years, there was confusion, like what did we agree to? What everything was an oral tradition, okay, except for the covenant. Uh, and so we we the leaders went on a retreat, and we re reflected. What was it that was we were living out these 25 years that we considered part of our life, or uh, we, we call it a rule of life? So we literally discerned those areas that uh, were, and so we, we expanded the covenant to, to add a rule of life around our 25th year. We didn't add anything new, we just codified what we had been living out for 25 years. And, and so we now, along with our covenant, we have a rule of life, which you can share can with them. Can you give too. three or four examples from yeah. the rule of life? Well, yeah, I, I, let's see. First rule of life, daily prayer time. We don't yeah. tell you how to pray, <laughs> how long to pray, but you have to have one. Right. Uh, then family prayer time. Family prayer times, rule two. Uh, you have to be on time to cover, to gather yeah. us, right? Yeah, we, we agreed. We agreed we, to be. These are our basic agreements, you know, that, and we found these basic agreements important to our maintaining our community life. And that's uh, you know, hard. I mean, I was looking at our copy of our covenant here. It's not really very long. I can read it now if you like. Uh, sure, kind of the core of it. Yeah, the this is our covenant. Jesus is our Lord. The Lord has called us to make a solemn covenant with Him and with one another to be a people of praise. We accept the Lordship of Jesus in our lives individually and as a people. He has destroyed our isolation and joined us together. We commit ourselves fully subordinate to our primary covenants, to marriage, celibacy, and the church, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, entrusting our lives to Him and to each other in Him. 
We promise to build up, exhort, admonish, and listen to one another, to be quick to forgive and to ask forgiveness, to assist each other in seeking His perfect will in all things. In His joy and peace, therefore, we yield our lives to Jesus, everything past, present, and future, and we agree to, love one, number one, love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be faithful to our commitments to community prayer, fellowship, and service, seeking always the vision and the growth to which the Spirit is calling us. Three, to accept our responsibility for community order. Four, foster the growth of the community by accepting responsibility for a program of Christian initiation and formation in community life. Five, recognize the headship of the coordinators and agree to obey, correct, and pray for them. Six, uh, accept our financial responsibility to the community. And seven, be held to this covenant and to hold one another to it. We promise to love one another and to call each other to holiness. We believe this is the way God has chosen for our sanctification. Mm. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Chosen for our sanctification, and we willingly ask Him to use it. We regard this as a solemn and serious commitment, which we enter in good conscience, freely, and in faith. So that's a one-page covenant. Then I'm going to scroll down and just show you an example from the rule of life. So these are some examples from the rule of life. And all of those rules are pegged to something specific in the covenant. Interesting. So it's kind of yeah. traceability. Yeah. So the rule helps us live out the covenant in a, in a concrete way. And it's the, the covenant we expect will, I mean, it's, that's what it is. It, it is what it is. The rule of life is our, our, current, our current understanding of the best application of that. Mm -hmm. So that could change, yep. you know, based on the culture or the timing or something like that. Does that answer your question, John? I can also send you this document so you can look at it more carefully. And Danny Ryan, I can send it to you too, assuming that's okay. Sure. Fine. So. I got a question. Um, I just, in our community, we have like different levels of commitment, but is there like different bands circling around the core of the community? Like um, people that live in the house and people who um, are founding members but, but went out and live in their own houses now um, and sort of, sort of satellite. Um, and then there are people that are just friends. And I'm, I'm struck by um, how that has an impact on the covenant and just wondered if you, if you want to address that because then, yeah, sure. I, just, I we, sense maybe you guys don't have that. No, we do. Um, I, again, around, we, had, we have the underway people discerning and then we had the covenant and then around... I would say maybe our 15th year of community life, we realized that we were, there were people that uh, they identify with our way of life or spirituality, but they, they didn't have the ability to, to live it. So, um, so we developed what we call associate membership. And, and basically it opens up the door for them to do almost anything and it really started with our parent, uh, elderly. Um, we had a lot of our parents mm -hmm. started joining us, <laughs> and they were elderly, you know, in their 70s and 80s. And they loved the community, but they couldn't keep up. <laughs> so uh, we developed the associate starting with them, and then it, it worked. We, we also don't take, uh, we do not take people into our community life as covenant underway members 
as a couple, they have to come in as a couple. We don't take one spouse and leave one out. So we developed an associate. It it started including all these people who, who were married, but their spouse was not interested. So it gives them a way to participate in our life. Uh, without having the kind of commitment that would conflict with their marriage. Um, and then we, we've also developed a program for our young people. Uh, we realized in the early days, uh, somebody who was young, like graduating from high school, we had a lot of people joining the community in college underway. Uh, but in the culture today, that's just not, not it's not even wise, to be honest. <laughs> almost to take somebody underway because it's such a huge commitment eventually. So we, we do a year, we do a, a year commitment, year by year commitment for them if they want to participate. So we have a number of college students who do a year by year commitment. And then we've also developed something called a mission membership. And these are people who live in other cities, other countries, other states that they just can't move to, to our community and they they they're kind of like associates but they live in other places and sometimes we'll they support our mission but sometimes we support their mission we'll actually send groups to their to to where they are to to put on a program or to do a church event for them Um, and and we have tried to duplicate hallelujah we have tried (laughs) several times in other cities And honestly, it's never we've never been able to really effectively pull it off. Yeah. So yeah. I think God is we're one of a kind. It's kinda of like maybe a Tizay or something. There's only one Tizay. They don't have Tizays all over the world. Maybe yeah, they do. I don't no, know. They don't. You're right. But it's hard to duplicate what yeah. we've done. Well and Dan didn't uh, acknowledge our uh, alumni associates, mm. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have anybody that has gone to our school, graduated, or participate in it, is is automatically qualified if they, you know, if they consent to our life. If they, you know, they have to not be off the rails in their life, but uh, are not feeling a call. So they could be an under uh, uh, an alumni associate for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and still be part of the family in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. like my daughter, who's a vineyard pastor and. Uh, she and her husband are both pastors, and they're they're the leaders of the largest. Or he's he's the associate pastor for the largest vineyard in Augusta, and she just got on the staff as a pastor for spiritual life and spiritual direction, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So you know, uh, they they would be kind of they would be like friends, friends. <laughs> but they're really family, but they're friends That's of the right. community that, yeah. that want. So, that so we, we have a large pool of people good. out there that are that are officially friends and. We haven't put a lot of energy into our alumni, but a couple of years ago they did uh, uh, an event for their 30th anniversary, and well, we were all stunned at how how well they responded. Mm. I mean, a whole bunch showed up. Mm. So it was, you know, so we try to maintain our relationships as best we can. Good. So Susan, this is a little bit. We've been as I've learned more about them. I've been thinking about us in terms of the statement of personal devotion. And then the community commitment we're working on, and then eventually the residential rule. And I think there's some parallel, they're not exactly parallel, but there's some parallels there in the sense that those are uh, different levels, but they're also stages of discernment, right? 
So you have to be living out the community commitment before you become a resident, that sort of thing. So, all right. So that I think brings us to 1030. I'm hoping Danny and Ryan, can you guys and stay on? And of course, John and Susan, you're welcome.